Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript, episode 82. This week, we're talking about internationalization, globalization, localization, and we have a special guest, Naomi Meyer, on today to talk about all this with our JavaScript apps. But first, what's in the news, Dan Walleen? Uh, the home front is, is doing well. Yeah. I hear I you've been that's... cooking a lot on the grill, man. Yeah. <laughs> we used, I, I think we got that idea from you. We used that mat thing. For the chicken, you know, and the, the uh, floor mat. Yeah, we like to put our floor mat on the grill. Yeah, it works great, man. Yeah, it's just perfect. No, uh, I think I think I'm doing pretty much what everyone else is right now. Hopefully, by the time people hear this, it'll be more resolved. But a lot of virtual and uh, a lot of work from home right now. But can't complain. I'm seeing my family more than I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still in good spirits, right? And I'm still in good spirits. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, we've been doing a lot of grilling and cooking as well. Uh, whenever we get our hands on some meat uh, lately, because you know we're basically locked up in our houses too, uh, just walking around our neighborhood at most. And we've been doing the grilling with the uh, you know the roast beefs and the chickens and the steaks, and uh, we like our meats in this family. So, speaking of meat, <laughs> that is not the topic today, everybody. Today, the topic is JavaScript and how we can make our apps more accessible and inclusive for audiences around the world. And today we've got somebody I met last fall at Angular Connect, and I was deeply impressed with your presentation, Naomi Meyer. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, John. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, it was a very, very good presentation. And I was, I got to, we had some time to spend with each other. Um, there was a, what do we have, a panel for, uh, new speakers to the to the technology world. I think that's where we met, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a lot of new people that kind of showed up there, met a lot of good friends. And uh, and then afterwards, we got to watch, uh, you were on the panel and some other folks got to watch your session. And I'll tell you, if you didn't tell me it was one of your first presentations, I would not have known. So good job on you. Thanks. It's always nerve-wracking going in front of a lot of people, but... Um a good way to push yourself and step out of your comfort zone. It is. And the, the key that you did, you nailed the key thing, which was you showed that you were confident in the topic and then you knew it like the back of your hand. So uh, when you have that going for you, I think that that definitely uh, should ease some fears, right? Mr. Dan, have you done a lot with internationalization or localization or globalization? Well, based on what I, I've worked with uh, American Express a fair amount over the years, and they have to translate to tons of language on the internationalization side. So have I had to? I'm happy to say I have not had to do a lot of that. I've only had to watch others suffer through some of that um, because I've heard some of the challenges. Let's put it that way. And of course, it depends on your library and framework, and I'm sure that's what we'll talk about. But uh, no, now I do try... See, this is where Naomi, you can educate all of us. Um, I do try really hard, at least to do the minimum on images and stuff and, you know, have alt text and title and all that fun stuff. And even the uh, 
Aria, I call it. You'll have to correct me if it's Aria, but I've always called it Aria label and stuff like that. But that's about all I've done. So Naomi, could you could you start us off with what are these terms that we keep throwing out? I18N, L10N, G11N. Uh, what does all this mean? And then we'll follow up with kind of how this applies to JavaScript. Sure, totally. So um, the it depends on who you're asking. Sometimes the definitions can shift. The paradigm I'm familiar with is what we use at Adobe. We have um, the most granular level of translation, and that's simply, you know, hello becomes hola, konnichiwa, bonjour. And then the next sort of level up of granularity is localization, or L10N, and important to note that these are numeric acronyms. So you take... Yeah, yeah what's up with these numbers? Yeah. <laughs> I had to look it up. I wasn't sure either <laughs> when I first started. So you take the first letter L followed by the number of characters 10 and then the last character N. So L10N is localization. Okay. So there's 12 letters in localization, right? And it's L and N and then you have 10 things in the middle, right? Correct. Totally. Okay. So I would be J2N, P2A as my name. <laughs> That's what I want you to call me from now on, Dan. Okay, you can call me D1N. <laughs> it doesn't really work with your name. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm N3I. <laughs> N3I. <laughs> okay, so in what do these things mean? Like, what's the difference between localization, globalization, internationalization? Totally. So um, I like to think of localization um, because in the U.S. in English, we spell it with a Z or a Z. Um, and that's English as spoken in the U.S. But then if we go to London, you know, where we met John, um, we would spell it with an S, with English as spoken in the U.K. So they're both English, but they're different local variations of the same language. And that can also include, like, regional dialects. Um, and the process of localization takes those different um, locales or regional dialects and makes changes in the apps so that it can handle all these different locales. And that's different from internationalization or I18N um, because internationalization is sort of the full process. So of making your app able to work in a variety of different locales. So that includes strings, you know, translation, and also dates and times, you know, integers, design, uh, there's a lot of different elements included in internationalization. Okay, so internationalization, a lot of that is about the language, the dates, the times, based based upon a country, right? Um, it can vary, and you're going to get different definitions online. So could it be like, let's take a place like uh, China, for example. Would China have one international, one IETN setting, or would that be multiple based upon the different um, uh, dialects and whatnot they have in there? China is complicated because, you know, we have um, Taiwan and Hong Kong and uh, Tibet and different sort of regional dialects or different locales. And um, these are different locales, um, not really different languages. And, right. um, you know, there's important sort of business decisions about whether you display them as different countries or not. So, um the thing about, you know, internationalization that I'm learning more and more is that it's a very sensitive topic and um, it's good to sort of be flexible and 
be empathetic about different um, definitions, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I learned that, um, I wouldn't say the hard way, but I went into a large project for a multinational company where they had to support over 20 different major cultures and then, of course, locales within those. So we had internationalization and localization. And it was confusing at times to figure out what were we supposed to do based upon where they were, because you could also have your own preferences. For example, you could be a French-speaking person living in China. So if you've just, because you're an IP address that's in China, doesn't mean that you may want to speak that language. Maybe you want to speak French or, you know, or something just like in America, you live in New York City, but maybe you speak uh, Portuguese. So there's also the preferences side of all this. And it, it, for me, it easily got confusing. And that's when I was leaning on the experts at our company who at the time did all of that. Totally. And so um, in, at Adobe, we have the globalization team, which um, handle these subtle nuances. And so we often just sort of say everything falls under the greater umbrella of globalization to help kind of make it easier for folks. That makes sense. So why is this important? Like, so we write software. I'm just writing if-then statements, right? (laughs) So why do I care about this? So I think we've seen recently, you know, with this virus, how interconnected our our world is. And the majority of people on earth do not speak English as their first language. But the reality is that the majority of digital content online is in English. So by internationalizing and localizing, we really have an opportunity to, from a business perspective, to expand into new and emerging markets. And also, you know, I think from a human perspective, to enable our users to navigate our apps in their native like mother tongue, they're going to have a much better user experience and get the information that they need. And things like warnings, error messages, critical data that we're sending to our users, we want them to understand it and to not be confused. So by internationalizing our apps, we're, we're giving them this opportunity. Makes sense. Let's take a quick break from our work from our sponsors. Hey, are you building apps in React, Angular, Node, or some other framework? Well, with NX, you can build your full stack apps in a shared mono repo, integrate with modern tools, and reinforce best practices. You'll get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier that will simplify your workflow. NX also helps you simplify the relationships between applications and shared libraries to make it easier to share more code and develop more consistently across teams. And the best part is you'll build higher quality apps and spend less time on configuration. So visit nx.dev to get Narwhal's popular open source toolkit for monorepo development today. And we're back. So one of the things that from someone like myself, Naomi, I mentioned I haven't personally had to do a lot of this. Um, The most I've done is it's kind of a combo, actually, of internationalization with accessibility. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, And that's the title and the aria and stuff like that I mentioned. What are some of the tips for, you know, people like me and John, you mentioned you turn to your experts at the company you're at. But let's say my framework supports internationalization. Um, One of the problems I run into, though, is like all of a sudden the label that used to fit perfect for English no longer fits. 
So do you have any tips from a web perspective on, on that aspect? Other than, I guess, be responsive, but I'm sure there's more to it than that. Totally. Um, from a design perspective, the good rule of thumb is to avoid concatenating strings. So, you know, you might insert a variable or um, have a pluralized form. So you just add the S in line in your, in your title tag. Um, those are things you want to avoid because for translators to go back and um, translate that text, they're going to have a much harder time. And sometimes the pluralization of a word um, does not include an S. So by removing all of your concatenated strings, um, even if you aren't fully internationalized yet, the process of internationalizing and localizing later down the line will be a lot more seamless. Another recommendation I have is um, the JavaScript INTL object. It is full of really great tools. And I think people sometimes forget that we have this INTL API natively in JavaScript um, where we can format numbers, dates, and times, and um, do a lot of really exciting things. And for those of you who are looking for it, I'm putting some of these links into the show notes that you can find. I, I literally, I'll, I'll admit, Naomi, I had to go look that one up. I have not used that API ever. So uh, I'm just that's disappointed good, good that it's INTL. Like, why couldn't they just <laughs> call it IETN? Really? I know. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, I get picky like that out there, Naomi. Tell me why. Why did you decide to do this? It's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> The INTL object is actually really exciting because there's um, a lot of additions to the TC39 proposal to the next version of JavaScript that include kind of beefing up this INTL object. There's things like um, compact notation. So if you have, you know, a long integer like 16,000, to add the K is what we would do in English. But to have locale-aware symbols is... And it is an addition to the INTL object. So I hope, you know, as a JavaScript community, we can continue to enhance this object because it's it's amazing. You know, I was I was looking through real quick at the I'm on the uh, Mozilla.org site, which is definitely my go-to space for all this stuff. And it looks like the uh, browser support's very good, right? For the INTL object. Absolutely. Yeah, I popped a link in there to can I use, and it looks like uh IE and Opera Mini are the only two browsers I can see that don't support it. But uh, and come on, if you're still using IE, you got to get a new job. No, I, yes. I wish it was. I wish it was that simple. But <laughs> if only. As some, I know as some enterprises, that's just people are like, I know, I know, but I can't. I can see it now. Somebody's going into their employer saying, "Yeah, I'm quitting unless you let us get off of IE." Dan Wallin told me, <laughs> "No, don't say that. Don't off. say that." <laughs> That John projects my voice a lot. That was not me, folks. That was John. <laughs> He's a ventriloquist. Uh, we kid, we kid, everybody. Yes. No, unfortunately, we can't choose the environment and culture uh, at our work sometimes. And sometimes the things just are what they are. And so like, one of the things I run into a lot, and I wonder, like I'm building this learning tutorial on a Microsoft website. And one of the things I ran across was I want to create an image. Now, anytime I have to create an image on a site, I get a little worried first because the image, there's so many things to think about. The image has to be the right size, the resolution. It's got to represent the thing I'm talking about well. Um, also, the UIs can change. So if I, if I take a picture of a UI tool, I have to be committing to keep that thing updated. 
But the worst part for me is I need to know what to put in the alt text. And the alternate text, I often try to put something in there and I find myself assuming knowledge sometimes about what I'm putting in there. And some some advice I've gotten in the past has helped me on it a little bit, but I still feel like I struggle there. Do you have general tips on what to do for alt text and how it applies to all these topics of internationalization? Yeah, I think alt text is important for accessibility for disabled users or people who are using a screen reader. Um, and I've always been told to be as descriptive as possible. Um, Can you give us an example? Like, let's say I'm showing, um, oh, I don't know, how about it's, it's a master detail picture of customers that have orders. How would you describe something like that? Customers that have orders. <laughs> yeah. And you can go anywhere you like with this. <laughs> I, so something I've been doing lately is, um, you know, we format a message for a string instead of, you know, displaying a hard-coded English string in an app. We can wrap it in an INTL object to format it so it can be translated. And we can do the same thing with alt tags in images. And you can just format that message and send it in for translation. And then all of your alt tags can be translated for your end users, which I think is really exciting. So you just wrap that with the INTL object itself? Yep. Okay. And then I imagine there's one of the APIs in there that somebody could use to then help translate that? Absolutely. And it varies. You know, there's really great third-party tools. Um, with React, we use React INTL or I18 Next. Um, Angular has options out of the box. And um, there's a lot of sort of paid programs that you can use to also get your translations. Very interesting stuff. This is, uh, again, one of those areas I, I probably need to get better at. So if I wanted to take, let's take John's customers and orders example. And, you know, if you're a shopping cart, for example, and or even before the shopping why, cart. Why would have, I be a shopping cart? Well, you know, <laughs> you're a little teapot. You're a shopping. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't know. Just John, can we mute him, Naomi, please? No. Nah. Go right ahead. Anyway, <laughs> except for he's he's running the recording, so I don't think we can. Um, but John the Shopping Cart. That's yes. my new nickname. I'm John the Shopping Cart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to what I was trying to say. If you have a product, then obviously it makes sense to translate that, um, you know, into different languages. Now, you know, for me at a minimum. Uh, especially where I'm at in, in Arizona, it'd be English and Spanish, you know, at a minimum, if that's the only audience I targeted, which wouldn't make much sense from an online website, but let's just say I did. So to get started with that, and let's just say I'm doing pure JavaScript or TypeScript, what would I do once I get the translations, okay, whether it's a tool or a human being does it, do I store those in separate files then that I would load through Ajax calls or how do you actually get those, you know, translations into the app? Sure. So the translation process is really on a case by case basis. And um, what I can speak to is on my team at Adobe, we have um, a continuous localization process where when we build the app, um, we harvest all of our strings 
and send them to our backend um, glass process, which is globalization as a service. And um, that returns the strings and we build a new version of the app for each of the different locales supported. And then based on the user's preference, whether that's um, what they've set their desired language to be or the um, language that we send in the URL, will serve the user um, the correct version of the bundled app in their locale. So in your case, you're actually, it sounds like it's generating different bundles then. So you, for instance, have a German version and a French version and an English version. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that'd be super fast load, I would guess then, because it's already ready to go. Totally. So do you have to then, not making any assumptions, do you then recommend preloading, not preloading, but deciding up front the different languages you're, that you're going to support? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, and once you've done all the the legwork to support an additional language and, you know, to externalize all your strings and handle various dates and times, then the process of adding new languages is a lot easier. It's the first time that's the hardest. Yeah. You get it going. Yeah, I bet. One thing that I, I've run into in the past was I, I've been wondering about, let's say you support 20 languages and you have a lot of translations. Let's say there's uh, a thousand things in your site that you're translating. Do you, I mean, do we preload, all, do we send all that content to the client, even though the person's only going to really want to see one language? Or do you asynchronously grab the language after you kind of determine what language they speak or because uh, I can imagine that'd be a lot of data to send across the wire if you had like a, you know, I don't know, let's say it's a half a meg of translations, for example. Definitely. So it's like, is, is, is asynchronous, like, is it possible to just bring across one language at a time or do you have to muddle all this together? Yeah, it's possible to bring just one language at a time and to, right. to rebuild or re-render the full app um, in whichever language you've loaded. Speaking of bringing possible to bring things online... Uh, midstream, we just brought a new language online called Ward Bell. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I am, Ward Bell the robot. I am your Ward Bell language expert. What a surprise. It's kind of, I feel like I'm on Mr. Rogers and like halfway through the show, a special guest appears <laughs> and it's Ward oh, Bell. Oh, man. <laughs> it's W2D. Oh, W2D. That's right. Yes. That's right. And now streaming live on audio. Uh, <laughs> what happened to your voice, Ward? <laughs> yeah, well, that's where it went. I, it, we live in crazy times. And, and so anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm, I'm hoping to find something useful to contribute as you continue talking. Small chance. Absolutely. But it could happen. Yeah. We were just talking about IETNN and uh, L10N and basically how we get different translation files into the client. Now, Naomi, you mentioned Angular and React, and I put those links in the show notes there, but I also found some for Vue and for Svelte. The one thing that I, I always kind of get, it makes me sigh. <laughs> you just heard me sigh doing it. I'm thinking, great, we've got the INTL object that JavaScript supports. And if I'm using a specific framework, I can also use like the React tools for React, React internationalization or Angular internationalization. But why do I need a language or a framework specific tool to do that? Why can't we just use internationalization, the object that's built into the, uh, the DOM? Well, what's the advantage? That's a good question. I think it just makes your life easier. And there's a lot of additional um, 
tools available with things like React INTL. Um, things like pluralization and um, formatting numbers, they just do a great job of it. And the developer experience of consuming that tool is, I think it's a lot easier. That makes sense. And I imagine as INTL becomes more predominant, that would hopefully reduce the number of job, the amount of JavaScript that these different frameworks would have to include to support their own personal libraries too. Yeah, like um, Moment.js is a really popular open source project for dates and times. And it's a useful tool, but it's a, a very large bundle. So um, if you're really worried about performance and bundle size, um, unfortunately, Moment might not be the best option. But I what's love the, Moment. <laughs> Dan, what's that date tool you were telling me about that uh, we started using last year? Was it date funds? Date yeah, FNS? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember. I haven't had to touch it since then. So I'd have to look up my package, JSON. Um, I just, I did it. Yeah, it was something there. like that, That's though. It, it was yeah. a really small, if I can find it, I'll let you know. About, yeah, it was like a really small um, package, but it did a lot of what Moment did. I have no idea how well it works on this stuff. But for, you know, U.S. English translations of dates, it worked well. Yeah, I just found it there while we were talking. It's date-fns.org. There it is. That's it. Yep. Yeah. And it's got uh, 21,000 stars and used by 440,000 different places. Wow. So uh, it's getting it's getting the rundown. What I heard about this one and what I found, too, is that it's a much smaller library. But I haven't, I haven't gone to production with this library yet. So, and I have with Moment. The thing that I would be looking at is, does this do everything you need? And does it do internationalization and all that stuff too? And I just don't know off the top of my head. Um, but it's something uh, for our listeners to take a look at. Ward, have you written any apps with internationalization? You know, uh, that I'm, I'm really feel bad saying that I haven't. I feel bad at saying I haven't written any apps that paid much attention to accessibility either. And... I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, I don't think you are. <laughs> I, I hear that a lot, actually. Uh, it's one of those things that, you know, is always on the list, but it, it kept getting sort of pushed down. And um, yeah, I, uh, when I was working on Angular documentation, we kind of got going on accessibility and then kind of dropped it and never really did anything with that. Internationalization was taken seriously. Uh, and ended up with um, solutions that I don't think um, there anyone is really happy with. So, um, and maybe you talked about that, Naomi. About we were about to actually. Uh, it's one of the topics we talked before the show. Is uh, Naomi brought up the topic of is it really worth the extra effort and engineering investment? And I, I'd love to hear your perspective on that one, Naomi. I think it is. I think. Um... The world is changing and there's more people online, you know, using mobile phones and on the World Wide Web who don't speak English. And if we, you know, from a business perspective, can tap on, into those new and emerging markets, um, you can really expand your products. And then, you know, from a human perspective, internationalization is really about accessibility and um, building apps that a broader range of people can use in their native mother tongue. Uh, it's gonna create a much better user experience. And like I said before, the process of going from zero to one is the hardest process, you know, from going from a non-internationalized app to, to internationalized. 
but then after that, um, to support a different diff- additional languages and to broaden to new, um, I guess, regions is a lot more seamless. So it's worth the extra effort to just, you know, f- take your hard-coded English strings and wrap them in a message, take your integers and wrap them in a tool that can format them for different locales, and then you'll have a much better experience and your users will have a much better experience. Yeah, I got to imagine it's a money thing too, meaning two two things here. One is, is budget. Can your project uh, support the cost to to add the additional development to build this stuff in, which also leads into the bigger money question is what is the return on that investment? And in the project that I was mentioning earlier that I worked on, this project was a multi-million dollar development effort, which was bringing in uh, billions of dollars to a company. And in this case, there was a huge portion of it, which came from outside of English speaking areas. So to just not have localization, internationalization, uh, pretty much was cutting off their nose to spite their face. You know, it, why would you do that in some cases, right? If a company is making, a, let's say it's a billion dollars uh, off of some kind of a product and half their comp- their products are being sold to people who don't speak English, well, you're like, yeah, well, it's too hard to put it in there. I don't want to spend the extra X amount of time to do so and money to do it. It's like, okay, we don't need that 500 million. <laughs> it just, you know, when you put it in, in numbers like that, it's kind of like, uh, like, I'll take No that. brainer, right? Yeah. <laughs> And the reason I, you know, I'm so passionate about this is because by internationalizing and localizing our apps, we're enabling more people to get that information or to share that experience online, whether it's, you know, a fun game or 3D printing or, you know, a critical data visualization that um, talks about the spread of the virus. Like these are all important, useful critical information that is online and the more people who can access it in their language, I think it's better for everyone. I certainly agree when the, when, I mean, you picked great examples of, of, uh, applications that need to reach, uh, broad audiences. And I, I long to be assigned to one of those kinds of applications or to pick one of those or, or to work on such an application. Um, uh, but um, uh, I, I haven't been fortunate enough to to have that experience yet. But I'm looking forward to it. Uh, for my in my case, um, uh, my clients uh, can't. They just don't. Um, they don't. They don't have the. They don't see the value, and uh, or they're not willing to pay for the value uh, for my current clients. But I don't think that I'll have the, you know, those aren't the only clients I'll ever have. So that's why I, I continue to be super interested in what you, what you have to say. And also, if we can reduce the, find ways to reduce the cost of internationalization. Right now, particularly for Angular, uh, it's pretty tricky. It, it, it takes a big investment to internationalize, in my view. Another thing that is exciting about internationalization is Unicode. You know, we all are used to seeing in our HTML tag, like meta, char, set, UTF-8. Um, but there's this great article um, called What Every JavaScript Developer Should Know About Unicode. And it shares um, the because JavaScript, the language, uses UTF-16, um, sometimes if you have a Unicode character, 
like an emoji or um, the letter E in a cafe with an with a accent, um, you'll have to handle it differently because it's outside of the standard Unicode characters. It's a longer hexadecimal character. So um, by really understanding Unicode and the process of internationalizing and um, handling different characters, I think it can kind of make us all better JavaScript developers. And particularly with emojis, something that um, Apple has done is encouraged people, Apple and WordPress, um, encouraged people to upgrade to the newest version of their software with the incentive that they get to see additional new emoji characters, which is fun for the end user, but by upgrading to higher versions of Unicode, they're also getting a lot of um, security benefits and hiding cybersecurity bugs that could cause you know, bad vulnerabilities. Let's take a quick break from our work from our sponsors. Hey Ward, you know, I was building an application the other day and I pulled in this really cool UI component, but it brought along a lot of dependencies with it. How do you deal with that? I don't like that, John. Um, it reminds me uh, that the AG Grid, which is a uh, an advanced uh, data, editable data table that we use in a lot of our enterprise apps because it, it addresses the complex scenarios we encounter. Um, AG Grid doesn't have any dependencies at all. Zero dependencies. Well, tell me, why, why is that good? Like, what is the value of having zero dependencies? Well, it's, it's wonderful not having to wonder if while I'm pulling that in, I'm also pulling jQuery in or Lodash or who knows what, uh, in part because that's extra stuff coming over the wire. It's extra files that I don't know what they're all about. Uh, it means when my client security team has to evaluate this, they're evaluating AG Grid and not everything else that might be slipping in under the covers or something that we have to worry about there. You know, it's great to see this day and age, you can have a zero dependency library that does something like complex data grid functionality. So all of you out there, do check out AG Grid at their website at ag-grid.com. And we're back. We were just talking about unicorns and rainbows and yes, candy corn. (laughs) So Naomi, you were just saying uh, that um, broadening or or picking a wider Unicode set um, could add benefits. What do I have to do to my app uh, to to make it support that broader uh, Unicode set? Sure. So in that article, um, what every JavaScript developer should know about Unicode, there's a really clear example that I like. It's um, using the the string cafe, you know, where the E in cafe has um, an accent. Mm-hmm. Unicode in, interprets that E as two separate characters where we have the E and then we have the accent as a combining mark. Um, so if we take cafe with an asterisk there, or sorry, an accent and um, try and split that string, we'll get the extra accent at the end. So the string will have an additional character. And if we want to do any string manipulation, we should be aware that the length will be modified. So what we can do is use normalization. And um, the Unicode standard annex has normalization tool where we could take that string with cafe and just do dot normalize. And that will... um, help get the correct length or, you know, split of a string. Okay. Um, I'm going to switch topics on you. Uh, did, uh, do you have things to say about how, how um, different frameworks tackle internationalization? 
I think um, as a JavaScript community, it would be really awesome if we all um, added more to the native JavaScript INTL API, um, because then we don't have to load additional libraries or different frameworks. Um, because internationalization is something that uh, I think is important to have across all frameworks. Yeah, but they do, they do seem to each go about it a different way. And, and the challenge with Angular, actually, to this point, had been that you are, for each language that I want to support, I have to build, completely rebuild the app um, for that language. And so I have to write, you know, build scripts that, depending on how many languages I want to support, support could, could rebuild the application three, four, five, ten times. Um, so that's a that's a challenge. I think that that's being worked on, but I, I don't know to what degree that's a problem with others. But you can see what I mean when I start talking about co- the cost of of supporting internationalization. It becomes a harder sell to one sponsor. There's another area that I'm not sure how you handle. Um, we we've talked about how to make our applications uh, more supportive. Uh, and that usually involves, as you say, um, internationalizing the dates, internationalizing the numbers, taking the strings and marking them up so that they uh, translate well. But I often have, what about the data that gets presented? Is there a strategy, you know, which is the dynamic stuff that's coming out of your database or whatever? Is there a strategy for internationalizing that at all that you can point to? Yeah, um, so Adobe, our design system is called Spectrum, and I'm sharing a link to um, the Spectrum International Design Guidelines. And um, a key recommendation is to expand is to support expansion of text, um, because some languages like German and Russian are notoriously like significantly longer than English. So they yeah. recommend um, a 300% expansion. Um, so that's kind of your login button, your submit button. If you can handle, um, you know, using responsive tools, a flexible length of text, uh, then you're going to have a much easier time internationalizing. So earlier I mentioned, Naomi, that uh, it sounds like responsive design in general then is another skill that if you're going to do internationalization well and localization, you also kind of by de facto standard need to be responsive. Is that pretty accurate? Totally. It definitely helps. Well, Naomi, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing all this with us. I I know this is a topic that is really important and the trick is really figuring out how do you, how do you convince companies and uh, product groups to pay attention to this in some cases, sometimes uh, taking a business money focus, sometimes just talking about the good that it does in the world too, by opening this up to other people's, uh, giving other people the opportunity to, to really enjoy your websites, you know? Absolutely. So with that, we'd like to wrap up our show by sharing our final thoughts with all of our listeners. And this can be on topic or just anything in this crazy world that we're all living in these days. Uh, and I'd like to start with Mr. Dan Walleen. What's your final thought, Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do a tech one this time. Last time was a little more uh, mental, <laughs> handling anxiety and stress and all that. But Um, one of the, uh, really cool code extensions that I've seen come out recently, uh, the, I think the main guy to work on this was Jonathan Carter, who I I don't know him. Do you know him, John? You probably do. He's at Microsoft, right? Yes, he is. 
Um, and he has, well, they have a, a slew of things. They have a GIST pad. And one of the new ones, though, is called Code Tour. And I'll put a, a link here that everybody can get to. But what's interesting about this, from my perspective, since my company does quite a bit of, well, we did do quite a bit on site, now more online training, um, is that it will let you walk through code bases in kind of a tour. And I got thinking about it more going, you know, if you're a company and you have a lot of new hires, a particular shipping company I work with quite a bit, they've hired tons and tons of front-end developers over the last year and a half or so. Well, what it would allow them to do is you could create one of these code tours and actually walk them through the parts you want them to know, you know, most about the app. So anyway, check out the extension and uh, looks extremely useful. Excellent. Naomi, what is your final thought for our listeners? I guess my final thought is um, to share the the goal of internationalization in our JavaScript apps is to create experiences that are equally usable, relevant, and meaningful for people all across the globe to really amplify the voices of our international users. And um, my my catchphrase lately has been to join me and put the world in the World Wide Web. <laughs> That's good. I like it. And my final thought actually uh, tacks on to what Naomi's saying is I mentioned that she had a uh, presentation at Angular Connect. That's where I actually first saw Naomi speak. And I put the link to her video inside of our show notes. Definitely check it out. It's an excellent video. And she does a fantastic job talking about these topics in a really engaging way. So check out that video. And Ward, why don't you bring us home? What's your final thought for the audience? Well, uh, uh, I was inspired by Naomi's uh, statement about long words and how you have to account for them. And so I am reminded of a great Flanders and Swan song, which features the um, this word, Halimaki Itilukachichichi, which is the... <laughs> That's the Tongan word for no, and I'm putting that in the show notes. Holy cow. <laughs> say that 10 times, Ward. I want to hear you say it 10 times. Uh, well, they worked it into a song, and it's very funny. Um, so, you know, in these troubled times, it's good to have a 40-letter word for no. Fantastic. And just because I'm strange like this, I'm going to leave you with one more final thought that Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious is actually S32. Oh, that's great. So if you have trouble saying that word like I do, and I'm a huge Mary Poppins fan, definitely just S32S. And I think I counted it right. If I didn't, I'll forever be in infamy as having this incorrect. Hey, thanks again, Naomi. Thank you, Ward and Dan. And thank you, everyone, for coming yet again to another episode of Real Talk JavaScript. You'll hear from us every Tuesday morning. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 